Thank you, Pastor Allen. That sounds like a fun event, taking the family fishing up at Beehive next Sunday, and uh, I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Well, good morning. I hope you had a great celebration of our country's independence yesterday. A little bit different than normal. I read recently that generally there's 15,000 that are packed down at Walla Walla Point Park. Well, that didn't happen, but we had the fireworks and uh, most of us spread out throughout the city. And what a wonderful display our community did in celebrating our country's 244th birthday. So we... Uh, we just are grateful for that. And grateful to see many of you in person last Wednesday night. That was great as we gathered back in our field and did some praise and some prayer time. Thank you to those who made effort to come and be part of that special event. We appreciate it. We are working diligently on uh, doing a little bit of an opening uh, here in the building on Sundays. It'll be several weeks out. It's not as easy as you might think. It's kind of complicated. We do not want in any way to jeopardize our live stream service, so we have to combine those two. Of course, uh, there'll be social distancing, and we will be requiring masks when we uh, return, but we are working on that, and hopefully in the next couple weeks we'll give you all the details for that. Um, you might remember last week I preached on heaven, and I mentioned that I had read that heaven was mentioned 267 times in the New Testament. And I just kind of said off the top of my head, I said, I've not verified that. If someone wants to do that this week, please go at it. And we had, we had one of our members of our congregation, Bob, uh, who emailed me, and he says, Pastor Jerry, I was intrigued by your comment during last Sunday's message that the word heaven appears 276 times in the New Testament, although you clearly stated you had not verified that number, but added that if you have enough time, you can do it. Bob took me up on the offer. I took on this little task because I enjoy a challenge. And by the way, I undertake these type of challenges frequently not to discredit the message, but rather to learn many new exciting nuggets of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge within the Scripture. It's exactly what the Bible says we should do. As the Bereans study, show ourselves approved. Bob says, the number 276 you reference appears to be reliable. He used the Logos Bible software, and he explained how he went about uh, verifying that number. But thanks, Bob, for verifying that. Let's remember this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We have heaven in front of us, and we want to just focus on heaven as we navigate through all the challenges of this life. And whatever the challenges that you might be facing this week, I know culturally, as a society, as a church, we're facing some common challenges. But then each of us individually, each of us as family units, have our own set of challenges. And I want to encourage you today that no matter what you are facing, God sees you. I want to talk about the God who sees today. And I want to look at a story of someone who might be considered a minor character in the overall epic of ancient history. This message is based out of Genesis chapter 21. I want to give away um, 
part of the ending right now, though, because I say it's a minor character, but in God's eyes, there are no minor characters. You are as important as I am. We all are equally important in God's eyes. So there's really no such thing as a minor character. But today's story is uh, about a lady by the name of Hagar and her son, Ishmael. Now, you'll find this story in Genesis chapter 21. And this morning, I've asked one of our teenagers, Isaac Eagle, to read the Scripture for us. Isaac is a great young man, comes from a wonderful family, and uh, he'll be a seventh grader this year at the River Academy. So, Isaac, would you read today's Scripture for us, Genesis 21, 8 to 21. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow's shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Excellent. Thank you, Isaac, for reading that for us. So here we have Father Abraham, the father of all nations. He's 70-plus. He and his wife, Sarah, decided uh, the only way that the promise of God of her birthing a son is if they kind of took things into their own hands. And how many times do you and I do the same thing? We hear God, we have a promise of God, but we think we need to figure out how to navigate through all that. Now, Sarah was well past childbirthing years. But she had this maidservant, a personal assistant, a slave by the name of Hagar. And Abraham and Sarah thought, you know, Hagar could serve as a surrogate mother. Now, that was fairly common in this day and age. So they approached Hagar, and she agreed. Abraham and Hagar slept together, and soon she was pregnant, and 
had a closer part of that family, obviously. But not surprisingly, it led to some real tension between her and Sarah. And she began to treat Sarah with contempt. And Sarah reciprocated. So there was this tension, this infighting. Sarah was quick to tell Abraham, man, Abraham, this is all your fault. This was your idea. And Abraham said, no, she's your maidservant. So you need to do what you think is right. Now think about Hagar for a moment. Hagar, man, life was unbearable for her to the point that she just couldn't take it anymore. So you know what she did? She decided to run away. So here's Hagar running into the desert. And she's sitting by a stream, and an angel came to her and said, Hagar, where are you from and where are you going? And she said, hey, I'm just, I'm running away from life, from my problems, from all the tension in the home. These people asked me to be a surrogate mother, and now there's tension. I can't take it. I'm running away. And the angel said, no, that's not the proper way of dealing with a problem. It's easy for us to run away. But the angel said, you need to go back and you actually need to submit to Sarah's authority. But I also want you to know something, Hagar. I will give you more descendants than you can count. Now, that didn't mean a whole lot to Hagar at the time, although it was a promise. It was significant because, you see, as a surrogate in that culture, the child that would have been born and the descendants of the child would have legally been Sarah's, not Hagar's, even though Hagar was the natural birth mom. But the Lord said to Hagar, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Well, the Bible says that Hagar then called God actually by a new name. You are the God who sees me. And that's where I got the title for this message. Whatever you're going through, I want you to know God sees you. Man, if you went to church back in the 1980s, there was a worship song we sang. Man, we just, <laughs> we sang it so much, I think we all got tired of it. El Shaddai, El Shaddai. You remember the line? To the outcast on her knees, you are the God who really sees. Well, the writer of that course actually had Hagar in mind. The song's referring to Hagar in the desert. And it tells us something about our loving, gracious, heavenly father. Here was Hagar. Remember, a, a slave, not important at all in the world's way of measuring value of people. But her distress did not go unnoticed by the God in heaven. And your distress is not going unnoticed either. God sees you just as he saw Hagar. So Hagar was obedient. She didn't continue to run. It was tough to have to go back, but she did it because God told her. And Hagar went back to Abraham and Sarah, and she birthed this son, and the son's name is Ishmael. Now let's fast forward about maybe 13, 14 years later. Ishmael is a teenager. And the Lord visits Abraham and Sarah and promised them again, you will have a son, and this time there'll be no surrogate, Mom. Together, you will have a son. 
Less than a year later, guess what? (laughs) A miracle of miracles. Sarah gave birth to a son, a boy that we know as Isaac, who's a half-brother to Ishmael, who's a teenager at the time. Well, about the time Isaac, the little guy, was weaned, he probably was a couple years old, Abraham arranged this huge banquet, this huge feast to celebrate the occasion. And during the event, Sarah was watching Ishmael, this teenager's. And the teenager was being a teenager. He was mocking. He was kind of mistreating. He was teasing his little half-brother, Isaac. Well, Sarah naturally was furious at that kid. And as we read today, this was the final straw for her. And she went to Abraham again, and she said, Get rid of that slave woman and get rid of her son. Isn't that interesting how much that relationship had changed? Just a dozen or so years ago, it was Sarah who had a wonderful relationship with Hagar, who said, Hagar, we have this wonderful opportunity. Will you help provide Abraham and I with our very own child? It would be so special if you would do that. From there to get out of my house. Sometimes our relationships are like that. Abraham was grieved because Ishmael was his son. But Abraham had a tendency, I think, to avoid confrontation, as many of us do, to take the path of least resistance. So he wasn't sure really what to do. And God spoke to Abraham, saying, in effect, don't worry about this. Do what your wife wants. I will make the son of your maidservant, Ishmael, into a great nation because he's your son too. So now we have a promise. Abraham is going to have a great nation through not only Isaac, but also through Ishmael. So the next day, you know what Abraham did? Man, he prepared a little food, a little water. He put it in a backpack. He said, well, Hagar, Ishmael, you, you, you need to go now. You're causing too much conflict. We always want to get rid of conflict. Just like the oyster always wants to get rid of the sand in the shell. But it's that irritation. It's that process of working through that, that the pearl <laughs> is developed. Abraham really probably didn't do a very good job, to be honest, of preparing Hagar and Ishmael for their journey. He probably could have done more. He gave them a backpack and some water. But regardless, after some time, as the story that Isaac read to us, Hagar and Ishmael were out in the middle of nowhere, in the desert, between Canaan, between Egypt, and the food ran out, and there was no water. And Hagar... Man, she thought she knew what she was going to do next. She and her son were going to die. You're in a desert. There's no one around. You have no food, no water. She's never going to be found. And she couldn't bear to watch her son die. So the Bible says she made him sit underneath a tree in the shade. And she walked away. And she sat down and she began to cry and weep. Maybe that's where you are right now. 
alone, crying and weeping. Verse 17 says, at that point, the angel of the Lord came to her and says, do not be afraid, God has heard. I don't know how many times in the last 30 years I have reminded you that is the one message that we see consistently throughout Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. Anytime an angel appears, anytime Jesus appears, it is always accompanied by the message, do not be afraid, for I am with you. God sees. That's the most common phrase recorded in the New Testament that Jesus spoke. What does a story out of the Old Testament say to you and I today? Where we are in our life, in our family, in our church, in our society. Three principles here at work. And in the time we have remaining, I want to bring those principles to your attention. Maybe you feel like you have just fallen out of favor with the world. Ever felt like that? You've been banished to life's desert. Maybe not physically or literally, but in your emotions and where you are in, in, in your core. I want you to know these principles can help you through this difficult season that you're going through. Number one, you need to remember promises do not eliminate problems. Promises do not eliminate problems. Receiving a promise doesn't make you perfect. You can still mess up. Receiving a promise from God doesn't make all of your circumstances perfect. You might wake up the next morning and still find yourself in the same circumstances. Just because God has given you a promise, it won't eliminate all your problems. Because life is tough. God gave Abraham a promise. No doubt, Abraham and Sarah had a promise. And Abraham stood by that promise. But Abraham tried to fulfill it himself through Hagar. He went about it the wrong way. And Abraham made some serious mistakes. I've made serious mistakes. I would bet you've made serious mistakes. Receiving a promise from God does not turn Abraham into this perfect husband or a perfect leader. He still made mistakes. God promised Sarah a son. But you know, Sarah made mistakes too, didn't she? She failed to act at all times with the integrity that God wants us to have. Receiving the promise did not make her perfect. The same could actually be said for Hagar and Ishmael. The promise didn't make them perfect. It didn't eliminate their problems. It's easy, friends, for all of us to get into this cycle of placing blame or playing the if-only game. Viewing the past in terms of what we should have done. It's easy to look at the events of Genesis that we read here and say, man, Abraham and Sarah blew it. They never should have brought Hagar into the picture. Or maybe you'd be critical of Hagar and say, Hagar should have treated Sarah with more respect. Or Sarah should have treated Hagar with more compassion. Or Abraham should have stepped up and just solved the problem. Or maybe 
Ishmael should have been a better teenager. Maybe Hagar should have been a better mother. I mean, we can go on and on, and unfortunately, we all do that in our lives. We rehearse all these what-ifs. And the fact is, everyone in the narrative contributed to the dysfunction of this situation. There was no one that was, you know, unimpeachable. So here's what I'm saying. God had made a tremendous and generous promise that applied to all the characters in today's story. Yet those promises did not eliminate their imperfections and it didn't eliminate their problems. Just because God has given you a promise doesn't mean that you're not going to still have to deal with the problem. Life continued to be messy for them. It continues to be messy for us. But the Bible says God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. These are promises upon which we can build our life. Doesn't mean that life becomes perfect, but we have the promises. He promises peace in the middle of the storm. Does that mean you'll never have moments of sorrow, face times of turbulence, or situations of need? Of course not. God has promised to bless your marriage. Does that mean you'll never have conflict? No, you'll have conflict. God promises to fill our life with meaning. Does that mean everything we do is going to result in success? Of course not. Please understand, living a promise-filled life does not mean living a life without problems or life without imperfections. But it means that God will do what God said he would do. He will bring it about in his perfect time. If you feel this morning you've been banished from the good life and you're wandering around in the desert, you need to come to the grips with the fact that even the promised life isn't free from problems or imperfections. But the season you're going through, this too shall pass. God's promises aren't going to change. God's promises aren't going anywhere. Each one will be fulfilled in your life in the proper time. The second thing I want to point out today is your tears. The tears that you've cried in times of pain and confusion. The tears matter in heaven. I say that because I found that in the scripture this morning. Man, if you're going through the desert when you've been rejected by others, when it seems that no one cares about your pain, I want you to know that your needs have not gone unnoticed in the throne room of heaven. God notices your tears. See, when Hagar had run away from Sarah and Abraham, you know, years before, the first time, she found herself all alone in the desert. And God heard her and came to her, and he became the God who sees me. God sees you. God sees me. He sees our tears. He sees our hurts, our confusion, our frustrations. Here it is years later now that she finds herself in the desert again with her son Ishmael. And this time not by her own doing. Remember Abraham packed him the lunch and said, see you later. She was rejected by the father of her very own son. 
and this time without the means to provide for her child. Truly alone like never before. And again, God came to her. Look at verse 17. The Bible says that God heard the boy crying. God hears your tears, your sobs, your pain. God heard the boy crying. And he sent an angel of God in response. Now, there's a lot of reasons that Ishmael might have been crying. I'm sure he was afraid. He was hungry. Maybe he thought he was going to die. Maybe it was because all of a sudden Ishmael, as a teenager, understood that their current dilemma really, really was tragic. And he was asking himself, man, what did I do? What could I have done? Why did my father kick me and my mom out? I don't understand it. Maybe I should have been a better teenager. Maybe I should have treated my little brother better. Why did I have to be such a bully? I don't know exactly what was going through Ishmael's mind. But he started to cry. He had regret. He had failed God. He had failed himself. Maybe for the first time, Ishmael was ready to take responsibility for his own action. Maybe that's why he cried. I don't know. I do know that when they were alone in the desert and about to die, he was crying, and the Bible says, God heard his cry. And he hears yours too. Never doubt that. Remember centuries, hundreds of years later, the children of Israel had become slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed under the hand of Pharaoh. And God called to Moses and Ask him to lead them to freedom. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, we read, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. He's the God that sees. He's the God that cares. He knows your pain, your tears. God has said, I have seen. I have heard. I am concerned, and I'm about to take action. Because remember, the promise is still yea and amen to all who believe. All things will work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The promises are yea and amen. And the same can be said in your situation. God hears, God sees, God knows what's happening in your life. And he will move when the time is right. Man, Jesus said in Matthew 10, not one of these single sparrows. And you take a walk down a riverfront park. There's all sorts of trees. There's all sorts of birds. Not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without God knowing it. That's what the scripture says. How much more is God concerned about you, his creation, who is made in his image. Your existence matters to God. Your tears matter to God. He's a God that really sees. He's a God who really hears. And he's a God, friends, that really cares. Third and final principle. Only God can open your eyes or give you what I'm going to call revelation. 
Only God can do that. Only God can give you the ability to see what you need to see right now in the midst of your struggles. There is a solution to your situation. And God is the one that can reveal it to you. And I want you to know your solution is probably closer than you think. It really is. There's a fulfillment of God's promises waiting to happen. It's sooner than you imagine. And you need to ask God for wisdom. You need to ask God for clarity. Say, God, would you give me clarity? Will you help me to see with your eyes? Verse 19, check it out. God comes to Hagar in the desert. And what does God say? Lift the boy, take him by the hand. I will make him into a great nation. And verse 19 says, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. That was her salvation. They were thirsty. They were out of water. The well must have been close enough. She should have seen it, but she didn't because her eyes were focused in on her pain. But if you ask God to open your eyes, he will show you that he's with you and there's a solution at hand. And we can assume that, again, the well was there all the time. She just didn't see it. Man, there's something about distress <laughs> that prevents us from seeing what we need to see. Happens to, happens to us all the time, on a minor level maybe. You know, you're, you're in a hurry, you're late. And, and, and so you rush out the door, you can't find your car keys. And you say, oh man, where are my keys? Where are my keys? And, and in that moment, you panic and you can't find your keys, yet your keys are right there in front of you. You probably had similar things like that. You don't see them because of the stress. Sometimes we don't see the problems because of our stress and our pain. That's why we have to ask God to open our eyes. Man, it also happens really on a, on a major league level. And it has the capacity to keep our life off course. You're so filled with fear, so filled with doubt, so filled with panic and despair, you just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But friends, God's solution to your problem is right there in front of you. You just need to ask him to open your eyes. He did it for Hagar. He'll do it for you. When you surrender your life, now I'm not talking about just believing in Jesus. Man, everyone or almost everyone believes in Jesus. I'm talking about surrendering your life, making him the Lord of your life, following him. When you surrender your life to Jesus and let go of the steering wheel, and let him drive your life. This problem to Jesus, this problem to the Holy Spirit of God, they know, they can see. And God will open your eyes and enable you to see what you've never seen before. Friends, there's possibilities all around you. Opportunities, solutions. But you'll never see it with your natural eye. We need to ask God to open our spiritual eye. Years ago, we sang an old worship chorus, Open my eyes, Lord, I want to see Jesus. You remember that? Had nothing to do with physical eyes. Open our spiritual eyes so you can see Jesus in the midst of your storm. He's there. 
He loves you, friends. God sees where you are right now, and he'll give you the power to see what you need to do next. He'll show you the next step. Well, this morning in conclusion, let me just say that the story ends by Hagar giving his, her son Ishmael some water, and they continued on their journey, and they found a home, and it was right there in the desert. The Bible tells us that Ishmael would have 12 sons, the descendants that we call the Ishmaelites. And in the overall narrative of Genesis, Hagar and Ishmael were maybe minor characters, but to God they were never minor because there's no such thing as a minor character in God's kingdom. doesn't matter how minor you think you might be today. God sees you. Your tears matter. God wants to open up your eyes to give you hope. I don't care how dysfunctional you might feel right now or how complex your situation is, how many, many times you, you found yourself in this predicament, you matter to God. He sees you. He loves you. I'm going to ask Pastor Darth to come and just pray for us. Pray for you. Pray for me. All of us have things in our life right now that are causing us discomfort and pain. But God sees. Man, when you are all alone in the desert, he's the God who sees. And if you let him, he'll open your eyes so that you can see the solution. You can see the next step. God sees you where you're at, but he's not going to leave you there. He's going to give you the ability to see yourself where you are, where you need to be, and what you need to do next. That's how God's promises are fulfilled in our lives. Pastor Darth, would you come and pray for us this morning? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you see us at all times, that there is never a season or a day or a time, Lord, where you are not aware of exactly where we are at. But Lord, we need that reminder. We need that reminder, God, today, just as Pastor's message spoke to us, that we know that you see us, Lord, and that we can hold on to your promises, even though we go through difficult times, even though we might struggle, even though there might be situations in our life where it seems to us that you might not see us. We need to be reminded, God, help us to know by faith that we are in the center of your eyesight. Lord, no matter what valley we find ourselves in or what struggle, God, we know that right now in this world we live in, there is so much going on. There is so much happening. But God, we can be assured today through your word, through your promises that, God, you will accomplish in our lives that which you determine you want to see happen. So, Father, help us to trust you. Help us not to fight against you through the struggle and through the difficult times, but help us to know and to hold on to your promises and say, Lord, we know that you are with us, and your purposes will be forwarded in our lives as we trust in you, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we're going through. God, we know by faith, we trust, we hold on, we endure because, God, 
you are our promise. Thank you, Father. Even I think back to last week, the message, Lord, about heaven. Lord, there is so much that we hold on to. There is so much in your promises that, God, we want to embrace in these days and the season that we're in, Father. Lord, thank you for the reminder today. Thank you for your word. Your word is light. Your word is life. So, Father, this morning we extend in faith and we say, Jesus, have your way in our lives. We trust. We believe. You are mighty, God. You are powerful. And we will hold on. And we will believe, God. And we know that you will see us through. And there will be times where we will stand on mountaintops and we will declare your goodness just as much as we want to declare your goodness and our trust through difficult times. So, God, we thank you. We love you. We pray that you will go before us. God, cause your face to shine on us, Lord, giving us your favor, giving us your peace. Lord, we thank you for this. And we pray all these things in the mighty, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. Amen. Amen.